Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. This passage that I read is reminding us that the harvest is at the end of the age and the angels are the reapers. And I said that I'm convinced that we're at the end of the end times. And whenever anyone talks about the soon return of Jesus, we all need to remember something very important. You have to hold it in tension. Perhaps today he could come, right? But on the other hand, perhaps you get to live out your whole life. Because we don't know when this event is going to happen. Now that's not a disclaimer, but I'm just saying, carry on, go to university, get your education, get married, do whatever, but live for him to a, a spiritual life to the full, but bear in mind the big deal is the return of the king and the establishment of his kingdom. Now, there's clues in Scripture that put us in the time frame. And one of them is found in Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel 2, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream that troubled him. And, but he wouldn't tell the wise men what it was because he thought that, well, they'll, they'll just come up with something, some kind of an interpretation, and I need to know that it, it's true and it's right what he's talking about. So he says, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then tell me what it means. Or off with your head if you can't do it. And they, Daniel found out about it, and him and his three friends, they went to prayer, and the Lord revealed to him what it was. And he, he came in and said, don't kill them all. I have the answer for you. There's a God in heaven who reveals these kinds of secrets. And he told him, you saw a great image with a head of gold, and arms of silver, and a chest of brass, and, and, and body of brass and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. He said, that is an overview of history. You, king of Babylon, are the head of gold. And after you is coming the Medes and Persians. And after you, Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. And after that, Rome will come, both the Western Empire and the Eastern Empire that lasted the better part of 2,000 years, and then it would end up with feet of iron and clay. And I wondered for a long time, like, what is the iron and clay? Like, what, what does it mean? And partly strong, partly weak. And I believe it means now the democracies, because they're partly really strong, but they're also partly very weak, because clay is symbolic of people. And he... Daniel goes on to say, in the days of those kings, those leaders, the God of heaven 
will set up his kingdom and it will never be destroyed. What will it look like? There will be a stone cut out of the mountain and it will strike that statue on the feet and the whole thing will disintegrate and blow away like dust. But the stone will grow and grow and become a great mountain that will fill the whole earth. Now that was given around about 600 BC. And all those kingdoms are now behind us. They've all come and gone. And now here we are in, in the days of these kings, these leaders of democracies all over the world. And perhaps you've noticed they're, they're all in trouble. Did you ever wonder, every, every nation's in debt. Who, who do they owe the money to? <laughs> but it's just crazy. And this has happened to us. And Jesus has given us indications too. He, he told the parable of the fig tree in Luke and in Matthew. The fig tree is a picture of Israel, the nation Israel. He says, when you see the fig tree putting out its leaves, you know that summer's near. Remember, one of the last things he did, like the week before the cross, he went to a fig tree and he found nothing but leaves. Remember that story in the Bible? And... Uh, so he ended up cursing the fig tree. How many have read that and wondered, what is that all about? Right? We do, don't we? But it was Israel that was carrying the message of God, the law of God and everything else. There was no fruit in the whole thing. And so he made a proclamation, may no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And the whole thing withered up right, over, right overnight and dried right up. And the next day, Peter remarks, Lord, the fig tree is dried up to the roots. And Jesus kind of brushed it off, said, yeah, I know. And, and you're going to do stuff like that too. But it's symbolic. It's prophetic symbolism that is pointing to something. So now when he says, when you see the fig tree blooming again, putting out its leaves, you know that summer's near. What's that mean? Harvest time is coming. I mean, summer to me means vacation and beach and all that. But no, it means harvest time. And when you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, you know the harvest time is coming. If the fig tree represents Israel, uh, Israel became a nation in 1948. Now, I was a little boy in 1948, but I dare say almost everyone in this room was not even born yet. How many old-timers are here that were alive in 1948? Wave excitedly at me right here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. <clears throat> so when you guys hear about Israel this and Israel that, you don't realize what a miracle that is. But theologians for hundreds of years said that Israel will never be a nation again and the promises given to them now go to the church. 
It's called replacement theology. But the Lord never said that. And now all of a sudden, Israel, May 14, 1948, boom. A nation by a narrow margin in the United Nations voted for them to be a nation for the first time since Babylon, really. I mean, they were a nation when Jesus was there, but under Roman occupation. They've always been occupied since Babylon, then Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And right up until 1948, they got released to be their own nation. And they keep winning wars supernaturally, don't they? When you see the fig tree putting forth its leaves, you know, summer is near, and so you. When you see these things, know that uh, it is soon to reach its fulfillment. And then he doubled down on it and says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so this generation shall not pass away until everything is fulfilled, he said. He wasn't talking about the people who heard him say those words. He was talking about the generation that sees the nation Israel be born again. And you know what? They've been there for about 75 years now. Tell your friends, 75 years. Well, that's... That generation is about out of time, wouldn't you say? That's how we know it's the end times. In Luke 21, Jesus made another statement about Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be occupied by the Gentile nations until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. It's a bit of an ominous prophetic word. But it's pointing to the fact that when Jerusalem gets set free, it's a time marker in heaven. And you know, they've been free since 1967. We had a six-day war. Who wins a war in six days? But Israel did. And you know, we, we love the Palestinians. We've got dear Palestinian friends and... and uh, but see, God has promises for Israel that have to be fulfilled. I'm not going into depth of it. I'll leave that for your, your pastor to do. And he can present his own eschatology. <clears throat> but I'm just saying we're at the time of the end. I'll give you one more. It's in Joel chapter 3. Joel 3, verse 1 and 2 where the Lord says, in the days that I restore again the captives to Israel and Jerusalem, in that day, I will gather all nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which means judgment, and I will judge them there. And I think that's talking about the final battle, probably Armageddon, uh, in the day that he regathers the Jewish people to Israel, it's in that day that he's, he's going to wind this whole thing up. And so, I mean, don't, don't freak out over it, but just realize we're going to a better place. 
John chapter 14, you know, those first two, three, four verses, Jesus said, and I'm going away, but I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Where is he? In heaven. And he wants to come and get you and take you there. So we go to heaven first, and then we all return and set up his kingdom. We've got some exciting days ahead. And I believe before this thing is over, we're going to see the greatest harvest the world has ever seen or imagined. Where do you get that? Well, Jesus said the harvest is at the end of the age. And if you want to go to Revelation 14 with me, um, verse 14. John is writing, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the, on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cl cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and just the statement, and the earth was reaped. It's amazing how <clears throat> harvest doesn't take long. It didn't take long 2,000 years ago, and it's even less time today. Where we live, we, there's this farm. That, last year, they had this gigantic big wheat field. It was like 200 acres. And we watched it grow. It's green. It's this high, this high, this high, this high. And it heads out. And the next thing you know, it starts to turn brown and then golden. And it was like that. And I, I'm thinking it with Carol. We're going to take this off pretty soon now. And we, we came home one day, and the entire field was gone. Just harvested. And off in the distance, I could see about four combines in tandem going along, harvesting that field. I think God's got a few combine harvesters ready to go as well. And so the way it has been done, one here, one there, one here, one there, that's not how it goes at the end of the age, I don't think. The statement in in John, uh, Revelation 14, 14 is, and the earth was reaped. Just like that. I want that to make you very happy. You know, if you've ever farmed, you're all, everybody's happy when the crop comes in. When you finally got it, you know, you, you beat the, the drought and you beat the insects and you beat the too much rain or whatever it was, and you got it. And that's what's happening here. He is preparing to reap the earth. So what are we waiting for? You know, I feel like we're 
waiting. But I'm getting the sense that the waiting is pretty much behind us now because I think we're on the way. I'm sure we are. Um, when Carol and I first had our revival exploding among us in Toronto, we were overwhelmed by it. Randy Clark, myself, Carol, I mean, we're leading this thing. And it grew and grew and grew. And our, our little church would, would only hold about 400 if you shoehorned everybody in tight. We had an overflow room that would take about another 300. And I'm desperate for a building. And uh, finally, in, in October of the first year, 1994, we rented uh, the Constellation Hotel in the ballroom. And the ballroom held about 2,500. And there was about another 1,500 in the overflow watching on video. And the presence was outrageous. We'd stack the chairs at the, in the nighttime and, and the ministry team would go for it and just everybody's all over the floor. The, the floor looked like a battlefield littered with bodies. Uh, the dead and wounded were all over the place. And we, we are really getting concerned now. And I remember saying to Randy, Randy, where's this thing going? And he's like, John, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just out of control. Isn't that a great feeling? Yeah. It's not out of his control, but we felt like, oh. And uh, <clears throat> in the midst of all that, I'm asking all these questions. God, why do you like it when people fall down? Why do you like it when this and that? What are all that screaming about? What are, what are all the lions roaring about? What is going on? Like, what is... <laughs> And I kept asking, what is happening, Lord? What are you doing? What are you doing? I, I, and, and he would help me. But this one time he said, I'm going easy on you now so that you won't be terrified when the real power shows up. <laughs> and I didn't find that especially comforting. <laughs> it's like, what are we heading into? Now, see, that, that was 28 years ago, friends. And I wouldn't say we're used to it, but we're not unfamiliar with all that happens that the Holy Spirit does. But I often would say, it's not really a great meeting unless you have a, several people run out in fear, you know. It's like the inmates are in charge of the institution. Let me out of here, you know. And we are heading in to the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. Tell your friend. We're going there. And you can ask the Lord, please include me. I want to give you one more scripture from... Acts chapter 2. 
Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted from the book of Job, I'm sorry, uh, Joel, and it was a great quote, Acts 2, 17, I think. But here's what it's going to look like. Peter's little disclaimer, these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass. Say that with me. It shall come to pass. In the last days. When? Says God that I will pour out on my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be uh, turned into darkness and, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued. This is what it's going to look like. Explosive prophecy, incredible signs and wonders at the hands of ordinary people like little old you, little old me. So don't count yourself out. Oh, well, I've never been to Bible school. Oh, well, I'm just a housewife. Oh, well, I'm just a teenager. Oh, I don't think it means me. Yeah, it means you. Remember John 14, verse 12? The one who believes in me will do what I've been doing. This day is coming. This is, this is on. I think we're in it right now. Now, I've just come from Brazil. And... I went from Brazil to our retreat with our leaders in Indonesia and then here. And I had a miracle getting here, I understand. I, I told the group this morning. But <clears throat> Carol and I flew um, last night on Jetstar. <laughs> and I didn't know. It was, it was the only nonstop we could get from Denpasar to Melbourne. And so, yeah, well, all right, we'll take Jetstar. That's fine. And uh, when people heard that, they were, you took Jetstar? You, you almost weren't here. You don't know it yet. But it was two hours late, which wasn't helpful, but at least we got here. But that was a miracle. But I, was, I wanted to say... When I went to Brazil... I feel like I got an upgrade in the anointing and in the Holy Spirit. Because I have never seen a, a nation so on fire. And I haven't been to Brazil in many, many years. Randy goes all the time. One of our guys, Bruno Arello, goes all the time. And uh, I hear the stories and it's all good. And it sounded to me like it's well covered, so we'll go you know, somewhere else where they, you know, but oh my gosh. Church after church, 
stories about how, well, we used to be 200, and then we were 1,000, and then 5,000, now we're 25,000. And filled with people that are absolutely on fire. Oh, my goodness. And we saw a wonderful healing. I had a word of knowledge about a guy injured years and years ago, and it never healed right, and you're still in pain. And where are you? And I, I called about three times, and, and finally this guy came up on two crutches. And I think, I think that's the guy. Sure enough, he'd had a motorcycle accident, and his back really injured, and this and that. And, and we prayed for him, and he says, as... as he forgave himself uh, for, for and, the, and the, especially forgave the person who caused it. This fire was burning in his back. He felt like my back was being ripped apart. And he said, then, the, then it stopped and the pain was completely gone. And this guy, uh, his crutches were with someone else who carried them triumphantly up on the platform, you know. And, and here he comes up the stairs, he's hobbling a little bit, and, and, but telling me, I could not do this. I could not stand for even one minute w without my crutches. Uh, like one minute was all I could do. I'd have to sit down because the pain was so bad. And he's just blown away that he can move. Well, then Randy's interpreter said something. We were doing this meeting, this one meeting together. And uh, Randy Clark, if, if you're wondering who I mean. And he, uh, he whispered something to Randy. So Randy says, roll up your pant legs. And I'm like, what? He said, yeah, the guy's got a prosthetic. Well, it turned out he had two prosthetics, one above the knee and, uh, and the other just below the knee. And here he is touching his toes and touching the floor. I'm like, God, what are you going to do? Are you going to grow new legs for this guy? Or what's going to happen? And I just realized how limited we are in our faith. But I tell you what, I, I came away from there realizing that there's a nation being transformed. Years ago, Peter Wagner wrote a book talking about how revival the center of revival has moved from Korea now to Brazil. And that was about 10 years ago he wrote that. And the nation is on fire. And so I'm thinking, wow, what happened that Brazil took it? Because all these pastors have a story. And the one leading us around um, had video footage of the day when he came to Toronto in 1996. And we took him into a side room with about 75 or 80 Brazilians. And we talked to them and talked them through and answered questions, and then prayed for them all. And they got absolutely blasted in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I was out under the power for three hours. And so were most of us. And we came home from that and we realized that we had caught the fire. It was contagious. It was all over us. And see, they went for it. And I'm wondering, Lord, Toronto didn't catch fire like that. 
England didn't catch fire like that. We had it for a while, but then it kind of ebbed, you know? What is it about Brazil that they took it and ran with it, and now it's at this point? And here's what I feel like he said to me. It's because they were not afraid of or embarrassed by the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They didn't care that they fell and shook and laughed and cried and rolled and screamed and whatever. Because God was on them. And that was the main thing. And see, I, I just want to share that with you, friends. The Holy Spirit wants to come and take over your little life. He wants it. You know that? He wants you and you. And you, young man, he wants you. And when you feel that weighty presence coming on you, you realize something that's crucial. You think, this, whatever it is, is taking over me. And fear sets in, and you begin to say, no, no. And this is after you've told him, God, take all of me, you know, take everything I have, you know. And when he starts to do it, if we're not careful, we can miss the opportunity of a lifetime. It's crucial, and I'm preaching to myself as well. Because none of us like to be out of control and vulnerable and at risk. It's, it's a natural defensive thing. And... When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I just want you to know that he wants to come and completely take over you. And there will be those times when you're out of control, but you're not out of control, really. You're under the control of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? It's like when we go somewhere together, normally I drive, but every now and then I'll ask Carol to drive because I want to finish a message or do something or make some phone calls or what have you. Now, the car's not out of control because I'm not driving. Carol's actually a better driver than I am. She's never had a ticket or a, a summons of any kind in all her many years of driving. It's unbelievable. Whereas me, I've had speeding tickets, parking tickets, this and that and the other. I mean, How many want the Holy Spirit to drive? Now, if you go down through the list of the fruit of the Spirit, how many know all nine of them? Come on, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the last one? Self-control. Oh, I'm glad you said that, self-control. See, self-control is given to you to control yourself. But it has never been given to you to control the Holy Spirit. This is where you find out what surrender is all about. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying anything goes. I'm saying if it's God, we want it. 
If it's not, we don't. But when you go to him and you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. I mean, Luke 11, 11 says this. If you ask for fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And then it goes on to say, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that love him? See, he loves you, and he wants you to have the greatest gift. It's incredible to me. Salvation is such an awesome gift. All of us would be more than happy to just receive salvation and be content. But no, he's not. He's saying, no, I want you to walk in the same anointing that I walked in and be empowered with the Holy Spirit so that you can bring the kingdom that I started way back there. That's where this is going. And it's going there fast. Now what would it look like if a hundred of you in this room got so filled with the Holy Spirit that you were duplicating the works that Jesus did? Do you think a hundred like Jesus would make a difference in Melbourne, Australia? Or all of, all of Australia for that matter? I think so. But it's not just a hundred of us. He wants every one of us absolutely filled by the Spirit. But here's what I've observed over the years. People say, oh, I want God. But really what they mean is, I want God, but I want him on my terms, not his terms. And I want you to tell him, I want you on your terms. Meaning, you can do, not the devil, not the flesh, whatever, but you, God, can do whatever you want to do to me. Now, here's the, another challenge. You probably won't understand it right away. You got to work it out and get some understanding and some teaching and some help with it. But I want you to know something. If there's a person in all the world that you can trust, that person is God, the Holy Spirit. Trust him with everything. Just surrender to him. Just be in abandonment. Give him your prayer life. Give him your all in all. And I promise you, life will be more exciting than you can stand much of the time. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.